This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Gen Z Money. Today we are interviewing James Millard, who is a financial advisor from Sufficient Funds, to get to know a little bit more about what financial advisors do. In this episode, we get to understand the process of what happens when you speak to an advisor, how to actually reach out to an advisor and ensure that they're going to be a good fit, and other things like how advisors charge. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's jump right into it. Hey James, thank you so much for joining us on Gen Z Money this week. Thanks Azaria, good to be here. So could you give us a little bit of an intro to who you are and what you do? So I'm James Millard. I run a business called Sufficient Funds. We have financial planning and mortgage broking, uh, I guess the core services. So I have a partner, Randy, in the home loan side of things who came on last year, started the business. I became self-employed about six years ago, uh, originally with two others. We made a very amicable split uh, mid-2018, and that was when SF was born. Uh, and so from there, it's been a, a good period of growing the team and, um, yeah, focus heavily on generally working with young people. Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's perfect for our audience. Um, and we wanted to, this week, have a chat to an advisor and actually find out what does an advisor do and how does that process work? Um, so if you don't mind, we'll jump into the first question. Go for it. So first of all, let's just start out with what does an advisor actually do and why would someone might want to see one? So I guess at its core, and my, my view is probably slightly different to, to some advisors in more traditional sense is, I mean, look, at, at the very basic level, it's trying to help you improve whatever you're trying to do with your finances. And I, I guess the link for us is that that's often missing. And, and I guess this is where, you know, the way the world is now, you can educate yourself so easily. Uh, if you spend a bit of time listening to podcasts, reading books, Googling, whatever it might be, you can learn lots or even sometimes just meeting with a financial advisor. But I guess from my perspective, when I started in the industry, I was bashing my head against the wall a little bit because I, I really, I couldn't see why financial plans working, weren't working as well as I thought they should have been. And mm-hmm. so I guess the, the, the outcome or the, the idea of what why I thought that was the case is because the connection was missing between money and life. And so if you walk into a financial advisor saying, hey, I've got this tax problem or I want to save more, I've got to pay down debt, whatever that problem is that's, that's caused you to reach out, and immediately you're having money conversations and skipping, sometimes skipping the most important part of what do you actually want to do and what matters to you, what do you value, and then how do you make that connection? So I guess from us, we probably take that step a little bit further and spend a lot more time up front kind of really getting to know someone, really driving them and working with them and trying to motivate them around their goals and everything that matters to them and then trying to bring in the money side of things and kind of make that connection because if you can make that connection, then when you're going about your day-to-day money decisions, things become a lot clearer, you've got a lot more confidence, and you don't have to worry that you're kind of second-guessing yourself all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that was going to be my next question. So for these questions, obviously, I work in financial planning, pretty pretty confident with the value of an advisor. So um, I got some help from my friend, Andrew. Shout out, Andrew. Um, and his question was, he said, what can a financial advisor provide that I can't just get by reading finance books? Yeah, 
so so I guess it's along those lines, right? So you can you can go and learn everything really. And and to be honest, my view on this is that the financial planning side of things, for most people, it's not actually that complex. There's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. But if you dive into it and you really get stuck in, you'll you'll figure it out. Um where where I think the financial advisor really adds value is I mean, it could be different for everyone, but for us, it's probably that idea of taking the emotion out of it and helping you get out of your own way because mm. you you might know what to do. It doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. And, you know, if you took an example around investment, for example, if you can't really connect what you're doing with why you're doing it, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons because, you know, if you think about those ideas of everyone, we've, we've all got the money stories. We all grew up with parents that told us to do something or didn't do something. They've all mm-hmm. told us to buy property or whatever it might have been. Um, but those those kind of, I guess, thought processes are out of date a little bit and they're not for everyone. And so if you can make the connection between what you want to do and then take action from a financial planning perspective, I think, or from a financial perspective, I think that's probably where the most value is, 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 is helping you get out of your own way. It's a sounding board um, and it's someone to check in on you regularly to make sure that you're still doing the right thing. Uh, and I guess that, that idea of even though you know what you're doing doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've found in my time in financial planning as well, it's one thing to know how everything works, but it's a, it's a whole other um, thing to actually put together a strategy and put all the pieces together, which is where an advisor can be really, really useful. And there's also a lot of financial products out there like insurance products or investment products that you can often only access through a financial advisor. So that's where that's really valuable as well. Definitely, definitely right. And, I mean, we were, we were chatting offline about that idea of some of the, you know, looking at what your life looks like right now, how about next year, the year after, the year after that, and you, you might have a bunch of moving pieces. So if you're in a scenario where you're trying to start a family or buy a home and then maybe try and invest, I, I guess where we often start is, well, with, with what you have left over, with your current resources, where do you direct it? And how do you decide which buckets to put them in? Are you paying down debt? Are you saving for goals? Are you investing? Uh, and if you are, is that going into super for the long, long, long term? Or is it, you know, to upgrade the home in 10 years' time? Those kind of questions, I mean, that's generally something that's going on for most people. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as you've got some money left over after you get paid, you've got to decide what to do with it. And that's, that's I guess, where the rubber hits the road from where we start. Yeah, absolutely. And then in terms of just specific services, could you explain what things you'd go to an advisor for versus just going to your accountant? Yeah, sure. So um, look, the, the easiest way to look at this, and this is probably a very simple and, and generalised way of looking at an accountant versus as a financial advisor, an accountant's generally looking backwards. So an accountant's looking back at what did you do last year? How much tax can we get you back now? Um, unless you're heavily involved, from a business perspective or something like that where there is a bit more proactivity um, and accountants have, a, have an incredibly good place in, in anyone's financial world and I think it's very important to have a good accountant. Uh, the difference is financial planning is more looking forward and so mm. we can't fix what you just did most of the time but, but yeah. it's about then thinking ahead and saying, well, what is it, what's coming up? And how do you plan for that? Or, you know, like you said, with those products, it's just looking at saying, well, you know, financial financial advisors are licensed to give advice 
in, in all of these products, so investment products, insurance, setting up self-made super funds and that type of thing, which has now become very difficult for accountants as well, right? So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of things that accountants aren't actually licensed to do or, or shouldn't even be talking about, so to speak, um, yep. where it's their job and, you know, ours to kind of work together and work on, right, which parts of the advice is relevant and which parts you need one or the other for. Yeah, Absolutely. And then let's just say I'm listening to this podcast. I have some superannuation. Um, I've got a small amount of investments and maybe I want to get my life insurance sorted out. Is there a limit or a minimum amount of money that I might need before I go and see a financial advisor? Yeah. So look, I mean, for us, it probably depends on on what you need help with. And, and so, um, you know, the, the beauty of the way things like you mentioned insurance, insurance is structured in a really beneficial way, in my opinion, for the the average young person because it's a service where the fee to the advisor is actually built into the insurance package, right? So there's a fee in that package um, for Andrew, as you know, Azaria. Um, but for all the listeners out there, that's, that's generally a service that may not cost you all that much with most advisors. You know, I don't know where you work with Phil. Phil focuses exactly on this, right? So shout out to the big guy, Phil Thompson and, <laughs> and Sky Wealth. So, so, so some businesses will focus heavily on just that. We focus on a more of a broader approach. And I guess, you know, often where we start is actually with even more basic than that, um, which is the cash flow side of things. And we're saying, well, when you get paid, where does it go? Uh, and some people have got this fully under control, but others need a lot of help and, and then others are kind of in between and we often add value in those those kind of areas where saying how do you like how do you get a clear idea for what you're spending and from that then how do you categorise it and maybe set up your account structure, how do you get some automation around that so that you're not having to worry about it on a day-to-day basis and then off the back of those conversations around goals that we're having um, and, you know, we, we have this session, we call it defining sufficient, which is that idea of getting really clear up front on goals and everything that I was talking about earlier before we start making money decisions. But off the back of that, if you're then looking at that kind of spending plan idea, everything that you're doing then aligns with the things you want to achieve. And so that's, that's a service at, a, at its basic level. And, and I guess, you know, for us, it costs a lot, of, it costs a bit to deliver that. And, and so there's, there's a cost involved with us delivering that service and so where then you need as, a, as the consumer to decide whether it's going to be valuable is are we taking away enough pain are we creating enough value um, are we answering enough questions for that to be worthwhile paying us for um, if it was strictly an investment question so if it might be super or, or you've got some money to invest my my kind of number there is generally thirty five forty thousand dollars if you have um, an amount of cash that you're looking to invest and it's probably around that level, I would say that's when it might pay to to seek advice. And that's only because yeah. you, you, the advice cost is not in the hundreds, it's in the thousands, low thousands hopefully, but it just depends on what you need and, you know, it's your job and the advisor's job probably hopefully to be able to help you understand what that value is and whether it's worth it for you. Yeah, for sure. And I've worked at um, advice firms where, the the minimums you know two or three hundred thousand dollars so is it worthwhile for a consumer to maybe get in touch beforehand before going into the process and just grasping an idea of how much that advisor might be requiring yeah for sure and and so look a lot of advisors aren't necessarily and, and where advice was born you know outside of the sales side of things many 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 years ago 
it's it's mm-hmm. now got to a point where they're you know advisors will identify more as some advisors will identify more as wealth managers right and so their their job is to manage the wealth you've already built so you might have 300 mm-hmm. you might have a few million who knows but whatever that looks like that's their job and then i guess what they're looking at is hopefully beating the market and making decisions and helping you allocate accordingly and there's definitely a place for that um generally for the for the population that we're working with people under 40 uh you know almost 100 percent of the cases is you're still accumulating you're working towards these big goals and so mm-hmm. we have built more of a service and, and forced ourselves to become valuable at that at that entry level uh and so that's where you got the cash flow and then drip feeding the investment process in when it's necessary tweaking super and th- sorting out insurance those types of things but i guess the heavy focus is what are you trying to achieve and how do you make sure you can do that as soon as possible yeah that's right and then for anyone who hasn't seen an advisor before and isn't really sure what to expect, um, a really good question that I was asked is, what is the life cycle of your relationship with a financial advisor? Is it a one-off transactional thing? Is it something that you keep um, coming back to review? How does that generally work? So generally, um, it would be you have a first meeting that's either paid or not, and um, then and that's generally just to cover the advisor's time if you're paying for that. Um, for some advisors, that's a data collection process, making sure they get all the information they need to then give you advice. We separate that service out. So we, actually, we charge a fee for that service. It covers my time. Um, but our goal, like I was saying, we, we're forced, you know, you can't just turn up and collect data and, and expect to get paid by millennials, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like <laughs> that. You have you actually have to spend the time to create the value and, and make sure that they think it's worthwhile. And, and so yeah. we spend a lot of time really digging in and coaching around goals and really getting to understand that um, with the hope that if we are providing advice, well, then that's created an amazing platform to then deliver something that's a lot more appropriate to them and it makes a lot more sense, it's a lot more valuable. So so I guess that that first meeting then could lead to building advice. And generally the, the next step is creating a, a statement of advice. If we're going to deliver anything, I can't just tell you over the phone or in that first meeting what to do. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, legally we have lots and lots of compliance around the things we do and for good reason. Um, so, you know, we have to build this, we call it a statement of advice. We have to document everything we tell you to do. And so that comes in this SOA, statement of advice, um, and generally that's a fee. That's a fee for us to build that and maybe implement it. Um, some advisors will split that cost out depending on how their service works. We do a, a plan and implementation. It's kind of like a project. So we do this project fee, and that covers us meeting as many times as we need to. Usually it's at least once before we then come back and present the plan and take you through it all and then put it all in place. And so that might be doing the insurance application or setting up the investment side of things, helping you align your account structures differently to what you had already, um, whatever it might be, right? And so once that's all done, then there's a question, do you need ongoing service? And is it valuable to be in touch on an ongoing basis? And so for a lot of advisors, it might be um, it, that's that's generally what they do and they might even price that up front so you know that you're coming on board for the longer term. Um, for yep. us, we create a separate decision after that. We don't want to work with anyone who doesn't need us or isn't going to get value out of it. So the end result is then you've got three calls, really. We've got the higher level where we're full cash flow, coaching, quarterly meetings, very high touch, um, tweaking plans on the run, uh, and that's a monthly retainer. Then there's a, 
There's a kind of a middle service, which is also a monthly retainer, but at a lower level, and that's an ongoing um, review. So an annual review, sorry. So we formalize it around just catching up annually. And this is quite standard from an advice perspective is doing an annual review. We actually have to do that if you're paying us. Um, and we have to deliver advice every year now. Um, so whether or not you want it, you're whether or not you want it, yep. There's yeah, <laughs> all sorts of uh, things we could debate there of why that makes any sense at all. But um, we can't yeah. hate the game; we just got to play it right. So <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's that idea of, of at least catching up annually because you, you're going to have changes. The rules are going to change. The products that you mm. have are going to change over time. Um, the investment landscape's changing, and you know you're having babies and, you know, buying homes and doing all those types of things. And so mm-hmm. that's why that makes sense. Um, but at the lower level, we'll just say, if you don't need us, cool. If you want to come back, we'll invoice you at the time and we'll catch up. Perfect. So it's not set for everyone. It depends on the advisor that you go and see um, yeah, how they do that. Yeah. But I mean, I guess the advisors generally, I mean, that's where, you know, that's where it, like I, I guess the end goal probably for most advisors, I mean, they're running businesses, right, or, or, or earning money as a result of all of this. The idea is that hopefully you're going to see that value and that's their thought process. Um, but in yeah. but in a, a really good advisor will say, no, you don't need this, but come back to me if you need to. And, and I guess that's what we think is, we, you know, hopefully we've built enough rapport, we've created enough value in that plan for you. If you can go and DIY that, awesome, um, but we're here if you need it. Perfect. And then I guess traditionally, if we think about um, seeing a financial advisor back in the day, you would drive into the city or get a train into the city. Um, You'd go to a a big financial advisor's office. Everyone's wearing suits. It's a little bit intimidating. (laughs) But unfortunately for a lot of, you know, Gen Z and millennials, that's just not realistic anymore, having to get that time off work to go and see a financial advisor. So what's the landscape in financial planning like these days? Can you do virtual meetings? Is it always between uh, nine to five? What does that look like at the moment? Yeah, so, I mean, from, from our context, and, and this is probably, we, we rolled out of the corporate world when we started that business six years ago, and we were, we were sitting in a, in a box in the city because we thought we had to be, right? We, I, I yeah. mean, I come from a business that had, you know, we were in circular keys staring at the opera house. We had our suits and ties, opera house on one side, bridge on the other. Um, and it was very, very old school. You walk into the foyer and there was the big old, like, pin leather big old like maroon oh, yeah. leather lounge and <laughs> massive floor like yeah it was it was crazy yeah but that was that I mean that was a fun place to start working when I was a bit younger but um we rolled out of that and we kind of it, it took us about 12 months we're sitting in this serviced office in a box in the city with no windows and we're like we we're, we're burning six hours a day between the three of us just coming in and out of this place for yeah. what and so we went completely <laughs> virtual at that point, it was probably four or five years ago now. And and I guess COVID's helped everyone see that value. We've certainly lost our competitive advantage when it comes to that, but everything we do is now fully virtual. So um, we're on Zoom, like I'm on Zoom probably four times a day. You know, we run a team that works in the Philippines and Newcastle, Northern Beaches, Eastern Suburbs. Um, yeah. Actually, Corinda at the moment is in Noosa with her family with a caravan. So like, nice. all, uh, and, and Melbourne. <laughs> We've got two two new starters in Melbourne in the last few months. So, yeah, all over the place. And I guess that's the beauty, of, the beauty of the business side of things is you can do it now from anywhere. And so as a client or a consumer, um, if that's what you need, you can totally find it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just a lot of more modern forward thinking advice practices are moving towards that. So if anyone's listening and they're looking for something like that, just to inquire. You can probably get a good gauge on their website if they're very traditional yeah, or not. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. And if there's any young mortgage brokers or financial planners out there, we are absolutely desperate to grow the team. So keep it, please yep. shout. <laughs> you can work from home. <laughs> love it, love it. I won't poach you though, Phil will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not a good idea. (laughs) Perfect. So that's good to know. I don't have to dress up to the nines to go and see my financial advisor anymore. I can just be my PJs at home. Totally. That's great. (laughs) So this is probably the question that's on everyone's mind. How much do financial advisors charge? Sure. Is it the same for every advisor or does it depend on where you go? Um, It very much depends on where you go. Um, And I think there's a big difference between cost and value. And so that's one thing is to not just look at the dollar value. Of, of course, you need to make sure that it's affordable. But really importantly, what, what one advisor might be doing for you could be very different to the next. And you've got to decide what that looks like and, you know, how that works for you. So for us, um, you know, it is becoming very expensive to deliver advice. Um, and so our base plan fee, if we're doing anything other than insurance, we do generally a $3,300 plan fee. Um, that's plan and implementation, and so that covers off on on everything. Um, for for couples, it's a bit more. It starts at four four, so four thousand four hundred. Generally, it goes up to about five or six for us, depending on the complexity. Um, and that's couple with maybe multiple entities, or you know, that spending plan work is is a heavy lifting. So if we're putting that in, then and everything else, so there's a few things like that. But I guess that's um. Again, what I was saying before is it's our job to help you understand and make sure that that is going to be valuable for you. And if it's not, well, we, you know, I, I, from my perspective, I'm not even going to ask you for it. We, if, if, if we're creating plans that aren't worthwhile, um, we wouldn't be here. And so uh, ultimately know that, you, you, I mean, once you find someone that you click with, you should, you, uh, you do have to trust the process a little bit. Um, but I think if you've got a little bit of cash flow, you've got some spare money, you're not sure what to do with it, that's where those first conversations could be quite beneficial. Um, so we charge $440 for that first meeting. We have 90 minutes on Zoom. I was talking about before where it's really goals, the defying sufficient side of things. We get to the end of that and then we talk through what a plan might look like and if it's going to be valuable. And that's when you've got your own completely separate decision point around, okay, well, is this worth it or not? Um, is this going to be helpful? And we'll talk you through what that looks like and then your call if you want to kick it off. Yeah, perfect. And then on top of that, so we obviously we've talked about how much do financial advisors charge. It completely depends on where you go. So you can probably inquire before before chatting to an advisor. Um, but then another one that might be of interest to the listeners is how do advisors charge? So obviously you can pay from your bank account. Could you explain a little bit about the concept of paying from superannuation? Um, and also are commissions something that consumers should be worrying about these days? Because we've heard a lot about sure. commissions being an issue in financial planning. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so probably just to keep answering that last question is that that's probably how we charge and they're dollar value fees, right? We're just looking at a fixed price fee and how we arrive at that is what is it costing us? You know, how much are we out of pocket in time and mainly time really to, to put all this together or components that might need to be outsourced? What's it costing us to deliver that? And then a margin, yeah, we have to keep the doors open and pay the staff and everything, but that's it. And and so others might look at if you're, if you know, especially around the kind of wealth 
management space. It might sometimes be a percentage of your assets. Um, and, you know, whether I agree with that or not is another thing, but I guess that's not the point. This is what you, you know, what you might come across if you're out there shopping around. And so that might be because the advisor thinks that they can add more value by creating more wealth over time. And so a percentage of what you have is, is fair remuneration for that. Um, and so then there's that ongoing cost and do you pay a dollar fee or do you pay a percentage of assets? That's, so that's the, the general kind of two ways that you could be paid as a financial advisor. Um, the third one is commissions, right? And so, look, the good thing about this is commissions have been completely outlawed now from every other product other than insurance. Um, so we're talking about that fee before that's built into insurance package. Um, so insurance does have a commission built into it. And so there is the ability to dial that down to zero for the advisor, but then you need to pay the advisor for the 10 hours plus of work that's going to go into delivering and implementing and doing all of that work. And so, you know, if we were going to do a plan just on insurance, it would cost us about $3,000 to deliver that and put it in place. And so we're going to kind of look at that and work out, well, you know, is it worth you paying that and then paying your premiums or do you just let the insurance company pay it in that sense? And so that's where... I do actually believe that that's a very good place for the insurance for commissions to still remain, um, and they do. They've been dropped fairly significantly in the last few years, um, but they're at a level that's manageable if you run a decent business and you're lean enough to make that work. And so for us, it's kind of that extra bit where it pays us for all the implementation around it. Um, but yeah, it's probably so- worth mentioning as well that there's a lot of regulation now around commissions. It's not that an advisor is not going to choose an insurance product because they're going to pay them the most commissions. That's not how it works anymore. It's all regulated at the same percentage. So no worries about, you know, the conflict of interest happening there. Yeah, exactly. So yes, you're exactly right. So the, the same fees paid by every insurer, it's identical across the board. Um, I think what you probably want to be asking is, does the advisor you're working with have access to a broad list of those products or not? Um, Because some licensees, so most advisors work under this licensee model where a licensee holds the Australian Financial Services Licence that we have to operate under. Um, And most advisors are then authorised representatives, as you know, (laughs) under this (laughs) this banner, right? And so the AFSL holder is the one that dictates what products you can talk about and you can recommend to your clients. And so, I mean, for us uh, and, you know, Phil, you guys are the same. The licensee gives us full reign on almost every available product. So it's very open as far as that goes. And then so there's no, there's very, very little, there's absolutely no bias in how we select a product for you. Ultimately, we're going to get paid the same way. It doesn't matter to us in that sense. We've just got to do, we still have to legally do the right thing by you, what's in your best interest, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you, you know, back in, especially back in the day, if you were to go to a, a bank financial advisor, it, it would be very, uh, very normal to be recommended the insurance products and the investment products of that bank. So that's the benefit of going to an advisor who can talk to you about any insurer, any investment product. Um, and then just with paying from superannuation, is that something that's possible for people who might be wanting to get advice? Yes, it is. So, so I mean, you need to justify that your super fund is actually getting advice. So we're giving you advice that relates to super um, but that if, if you're in a fund that has high fees or you can't find uh, the right structure, 
or if you're in a fund that might make sense and allows a fee to be paid to an advisor because they don't all. Um, so you'll find most industry funds won't. Some will. Um, just depends on, on the setup. Um, but there are a lot of other funds that, that will allow that. Um, and so generally if the advisor's adding value in the super area for you, helping you tweak your investments, finding a more appropriate fund, whatever it might be, um, then, yeah, at least a portion of that fee if it's fully super advice, then there's no reason why your super fund can't pay the, the whole amount. Um, if we're doing a big plan that's covering all sorts of things in your own name, well, then we need to justify, and what you really do, but need to justify uh, how much you're spending out of your super fund for that advice, so to speak. Yeah, that's it. And another question that I got, which was a really, really good one, I can imagine for people who aren't familiar with the financial planning process and industry, there's always going to be that fear of, how do I know that I'm not getting ripped off? So first of all, how would you vet a financial advisor to make sure that they're going to be the right fit for you? And how do you ensure exactly that, that you're not just going to be ripped off? So look, the good thing about the world today is social proof's not hard to come by generally. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can dig around online, you can look at Google reviews, you can ask. And and one one thing I would always say, and this is a really good question, if you're shopping around with advisors is ask to speak to clients like you. And mm. I mean, I, I know if someone hit me up directly for that, I would, I would have a good list of people that would be very happy to talk to them. Um, so you, you want, I guess what you want to find out for starters is are they working with people like you? And so then you know that you're in the right place. And then, I mean, it is very much, it's an intuition thing, right? You're going to know, if you click with this person, are they on your page? Are they saying things that are making sense or are they confusing the hell out of you? Um, if an advisor is talking to you and it's not making sense, that's not your fault. That's that's their problem, right? So if you can't understand what they're saying, move on because the advisor needs to is qualified to understand and should be qualified to understand where to come in, which level to start. Right. And, and generally, you, you should never walk away from advice feeling like you've been overwhelmed or it doesn't make sense or anything like that. You have to be kind of in control, I guess. So my view on an advisor really is we're, we're not here just to tell you what to do. It's, we're actually here to help you make informed decisions. So educate, coach you, make sure you understand it all. Um, I'm not going to be offended if you don't take all the advice I give you. I guess I'll actually be impressed because you're making a call on it yourself, <laughs> right? And so you're saying, okay, yep, cool, James, I understand this, this, and this, but what about that? Yep, don't really need that. Yep, fair, cool, that was a bit subjective, no worries, let's go with it. And so... Yeah, that's great. Are there a few signs, so just in general, you you hear in the media about people being, you know, uh, having their money taken or like all these horror stories of what happens to some people when they try to seek advice but maybe end up in the wrong hands or p- with people that aren't actually qualified advisors. So is there any guarantee in terms of seeking advice? Is there anything that you can look for to ensure that your advisor is qualified and isn't, you know, someone, yeah. a, a kind of a con man, which we've probably seen in the media <laughs> recently? 100%. So a really good starting point is the Money Smart site. So ASIC's Money Smart site, you can search advisors on there. Um, but the financial advice register for ASIC is also, so if you just Google that, Google financial advice register mm-hmm. or advisor, financial advisor register, you will find, you can literally put the name in. Um, you can see when they started, 
all the details that matter if they're qualified, if they're still registered. Most advisors we're talking about are authorised representatives of, a, of an AFSL, so that'll give you the details of that, who's their licensee, that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, most importantly, definitely tick that box um, because that then helps you avoid, uh, you know, some things that have been in the news recently as well with people running, running away from money and having... Yeah, that's it. If your friend's recommending that you go, you know, talk to an advisor that's helped them with their crypto and got them this, you know, new property scheme, maybe just maybe just search their name on that register first just to make sure um, they're legit. That's it. Perfect. Well, I think that's answered most of our questions, James. And I just thought I'd mention as well, if anyone is a bit more curious and would like to have a bit more preparation before seeking out an advisor, I believe that you have an episode on My Millennial Money, which is basically a recording of a first meeting with clients. Is that right? Yes, we do. Yes. Yes. So go check that out. Perfect. So that might be a good start. That's our, um, yeah, that's the example of our kind of defining sufficient session. So yeah, Blake and Jazz were kind enough to uh, get in front of the cameras and, and go for all of that with us, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of a dive into kind of see what, what, what it's all about, those initial conversations anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great intro. So thank you, James, so much for joining us today and answering all our questions. We'll leave the links to your socials and your website and all that in the show notes. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And if anyone has any questions, I'm guessing they're more than welcome to reach out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just um, just hit us up on the socials or connect through the website and uh, yeah, more than happy to chat. Perfect. Thanks so much, James. Thanks, Azaria. Appreciate it. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289.